This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 160. Today on our show, the history of Cincy Shirts, chapter two with Josh. Now, you remember a couple of weeks ago, Darren took us through the beginnings of the company uh, back when it was called Look At Me Shirts. Josh picks it up here and tells us a few stories uh, that Darren uh, might have missed and takes us a little further through the Look At Me Shirts history up until the company starts to turn into Cincy Shirts, so he recalls a few more tales uh, from the Look At Me Shirts days. He tells us about the company's first cease and desist order, becoming good friends with Mo Egger, and how that sponsorship really uh, moved the company forward. Uh, Reds players taking notice of the company's shirts, and a whole lot more. Now, uh, Josh only talks for about a half an hour on this before we get to a natural breaking point, so I figured... um, Folks, you know, from time to time, the reason we're doing this is because people ask, you know, how did Cincy Shirts get started and all this? And if you listen to the podcast and you see Josh and Darren on the news and you buy our shirts, you kind of know the story probably in bits and pieces. But uh, we wanted to tell it, like, all the way through. So uh, that's why we're having Josh and Darren do this. And then occasionally, you know, people will ask Billy and myself and some of the other folks, you know, how we got mixed up in this. So today, since uh, Josh only talked for half an hour, uh, Billy is going to explain how he got mixed up in this. And then after that, I'll explain how... I got mixed up in this because occasionally at events people will say, hey, uh, how did you start doing this? So uh, we'll get to all that. Uh, but first, uh, some orders of business you've been liking the podcast. Help support it via PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and ship in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for the special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. Josh did not choose one, so I get to do that when I tell uh, my story. So you can listen to Josh's and Billy's, and you can skip mine. Your class is dismissed after that. You want to stick around for mine, you can. And you have to stick around for mine because that's where you get the promo code. Anyway, so now let's get to Josh talking to us about the Look At Me Shirts days of Cincy Shirts. Cincinnati, Cincinnati, she came down, Cincinnati, just maybe think of me once in a while, I'm a Cincy Shirts.com in Cincinnati. Alright t-shirt fans, it's Josh Schneed, co-owner of Cincy Shirts, and I am following up to Darren's episode last week. On the history of our company. Now, Darren sort of set the table for uh, our story. And so he asked me if I would like to step in and take over uh, telling the next uh, chapter. So a couple things I want to touch on before we pick up where he left off were some things that he mentioned in the first episode. And if you're listening to this and you haven't heard last week's episode, I highly recommend you go back and listen to that first before you listen to this one. You've officially been warned. A couple things about how Darren and I met. He he told you that we met at the Montgomery Inn when I was having lunch there with Chad Daniels, but he couldn't remember how we first talked after that meeting. And I remember it like it was yesterday. He get he had given me his card and he said, uh, I, I started doing stand-up. I took a class uh, at the Funny Bone, but I also do art. And if you ever want to check out my art, here's my website. 
and it was illustratorguy.com. <laughs> I remember that. And I went home and I checked out his website and it was amazing. I was laughing so hard. So if you've ever been to Go Bananas Comedy Club, you may have noticed the different paintings up on the wall. Those are all Darren's paintings. And that was what I first noticed on his website. Darren was painting all the time. He had done these hilarious mashups of pop culture references with like classic paintings. So um, instead of the girl with the pearl earrings, there was the girl with the pearl necklace. There was a picture that I'm still upset that I didn't, uh, a painting that I'm still upset I didn't purchase uh, called Duck Hunting Mother Effers. And it was... Um, it was John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson's characters from Pulp Fiction in the famous uh, photo of them in the scene where they're both pointing a gun. And he had recreated that photo but had replaced guns with the old school Nintendo gun, the light phaser. And it looked like they were playing Duck Hunt. And it made me laugh so hard. And there was so many of them on there. And I hope at some point he finds those files and just shares them so that people can see some of the awesome stuff he did. But that was how I first, like that was what caught my attention. And so I messaged him, I sent him an email and told him that I really liked his uh, paintings and found out that he liked to play golf and, you know, him being a server and an artist and me being a comedian, we had a lot of daytimes free. So we started playing golf together pretty regularly and that's where our brainstorm sessions started on like, you know, we figured out that we both had like this entrepreneur type attitude and we knew that we wanted to do our own thing. And we were just trying to figure out what that could be. And as he mentioned on the last episode, it started with his his board game for deer hunting, the the uh, whitetailopoly. And then my relationship with the blue collar comedy tour trying to trying to get them to approve a monopoly game for the blue collar guys. And there were a bunch of legal things that we would have had to go through to make that happen. But what ultimately led to that video or that board game never being created was the blue collar comedy tour was so popular when it first aired on comedy central, it got higher ratings than any movie that they had ever shown in the history of the network. And so what that did was, you know, they were all touring around together as a foursome, but they became so famous that all the all the theaters that they worked where they were, you know, it took all four of them to sell it out. Now they could all sell it out on their own. So they were trying to move away from products that lump them all together and each wanted to start doing their own thing. So that was the main that was the main reason why that video that board game was not going to come to fruition but but we were very proud of it i was very proud of the the jokes that we had on there all the different spaces had different jokes of the guys and darren of course did an amazing job with the artwork we'd come up with some really funny ideas for the little game board pieces and so the amount of work that we put into making the prototype for that board game was really the the groundwork for how he and i would work together you know, collaborating on projects and, and ultimately led to us going into business together, which, you know, looking back 17 years or however long it's been, I mean, he's just like the absolute perfect business partner. And I just, 
you know, I hear these horror stories. I mean, and he and I have gone through some, as you will hear (laughs) of, um, of just not clicking, you know, when you're in ownership positions with other people. I mean, I would be hard pressed to think of any time he and I have ever had an argument about how to run our business because we just, we just really complement each other well. We both have such similar goals and ideas for where we want to be and the, the right attitude that's a, a mix of being realistic but also taking risks is what I think has, has led us to be so successful. And, uh, you know, we really balance each other out. And he's always been good with the day-to-day stuff, especially in, in, the, in the years where I was just on the road nonstop. But sort of pick up where he left off. You know, we had, we had moved into this warehouse in Dayton, Kentucky. And the history of this building, he told you about it being a carpet business. Prior to that, it was actually one of the first Kroger's. And uh, I guess it had gone through a couple different things before it became uh, this carpet business. And they had filled, I mean, it was three floors. And there, I, I really wish we had taken more pictures and maybe we'll get the opportunity to one day just for memory purposes. But I wish we had taken more pictures of the inside of this building because it was unbelievable. Like you wouldn't believe how cool this place was on the inside compared to what it looked like boarded up on the outside. It had this huge grand staircase up to the second floor. And then the second floor had, I don't know, it was probably like 40 or 50 foot ceilings. It was basically two floors uh, on half of the building that, that they had combined into one floor. So it was this really lofty ceiling. And then all the way up above that was a bunch of these smaller rooms that had these crazy lockers in it. Uh, lockers that we would finally pry off of the wall and then bring them down into what would become our first retail spot. You know, because when we first moved in there, it wasn't because we wanted a store because we didn't have any kind of a local following. We just wanted a place to make our shirts and not have to pay other people to do it. And Darren was tired of having all of our inventory take up the living room in his little apartment. (laughs) Uh, We wanted a spot we could work out of for ourselves ship out of keep keep our blanks and our printed stuff around and um you know feel like we were a real company and so of this big building there's the bottom floor basically had like three areas and then a garage on the side of the building and so uh, we had cleaned up the first area uh, right on the corner you know replaced the windows we'd pulled everything off of the walls man there was carpet everywhere it wasn't just a store that sold carpet like if you could picture two foot by two foot square that is just a a sample piece of carpet they'd put it on every wall in the whole building so it'd be like a, a one color of carpet and then right next to it another color and that was like the wallpaper it was there was no displays it was like every inch was carpet and it hadn't been touched in two decades so the dust and the dirt and like you should have seen us they put a a dumpster on the side of the building and we would just take wheelbarrows full of garbage and carpet pieces and just chuck them into this dumpster we filled it up and then we had uh the floor like kind of like resurfaced and new carpet put down and we painted the walls darren painted this amazing mural 
uh, again, I would love to find a picture of this. I know that it exists somewhere, maybe even in an art, an article that the Enquirer wrote, but he painted this amazing mural on the back wall and we call it, we called it the route eight warehouse W E A R the warehouse. <laughs> I still get random spam emails to this day asking about the route eight warehouse. Cause it was on route eight in Dayton, Kentucky. And so, um, he had this mural and, and you know, we, we were in there and, uh, we would, we would work. And, uh, when the days I was in town, I'd be in there working and, uh, we, in this dingy dungeon basement, we had set up our equipment of like, you know, a pressure washer to spray out the screens and then, uh, and the place to let them dry with a fan on them. It was, it was so wild. The different parts of this building that we used, uh, with aspirations that we would take over more of the building. And so slowly, but surely we started to get a little bit of, a um, of a following and that really came because of the amount of local designs we started to add. You know, as, as he mentioned on the last episode, the first designs that we did were, you know, sort of national appeal. They were pop culture references to things that were going on. I remember uh, we had a shirt. It was actually the first time we ever got a cease and desist. And it was a picture of Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's. And uh, it was basically him in an apron holding a spatula. And it just said, damn, it feels good to be a gangster. And it was so silly. Like, I don't even remember how we came up with it, but it made us laugh and we printed it. And then we got a cease and desist from Wendy's. And uh, I was like all freaked out because I had never had I never had somebody threatened to sue me for anything. And so I wrote them this I wrote them this hilarious letter. That was sincere, but looking back, it was hilarious. That was like, oh, we're sorry. You know, we didn't mean to offend anybody. Wendy's was my first job, and we just thought it would be fun to have this shirt and pay homage to Dave Thomas. And they wrote this really cool letter back to us like, ah, it's cool. You know, we got to laugh about it, but uh, just don't sell it anymore. But I wore that T-shirt everywhere. I got to go to New York City and – um randomly I ended up at this like this event where they were just giving out swag to people because it was the week of the video music awards for MTV and my buddy at the time Finesse Mitchell was on Saturday Night Live and he asked me to come with them to this event and he was like I'll tell them you're with Comedy Central and then you can get all this free stuff too so um so I wore my damn it feels good to be a gangster shirt and ended up uh, walking around this event with uh, finesse, of course. This girl named Kelly Packard from, um, she was on uh, Baywatch and uh, California Dreams, the the TV show that was on after Saved by the Bell on Saturday mornings, and also Method Man. So I have a picture of of myself and Method Man, and I'm wearing my Dave Thomas T-shirt that that got us our first cease and desist. But I digress. Anyway, so at some point we thought it would be cool to have a tiny little store because we had this big room and when our equipment was only taken up about, you know, maybe half of it, maybe just a little more than half of it. But we, we definitely had enough space that we could uh, put up a, like a wall and kind of block the, our desks and the equipment and then have like a little store in the front. So we built this wall and, um, 
we're like, man, we need, we need like some shelving, some fixtures. And the guy that owned the building, uh, was involved with the, with the Reds community fund. And so, um, he had had, he had some access to these old, like, um, carts and locker pieces that the, that the Reds were no longer using at the stadium. Uh, you know, like if you were to buy souvenirs and stuff, they were these like carts on wheels that they could set up anywhere and they were getting rid of them. So we, we bought those and we brought those in. So, so our, our store basically had old, uh, merchandise carts from Synergy Field. Some, uh, they're, they're made to look like lockers, but they were these metal things from one of the gift shops down there that we could, uh, hang up, put stuff on hangers. And then we found this place that, that he told us about that took department stores that were going out of business and it took all their fixtures and stuff and then they resold them. So we had like shelving from like Walmart and Macy's <laughs> and Lazarus that we got like super cheap that were, you know, a little bit banged up, but still in good condition. We brought those in and, and we had our, our little store set up and we had to start figuring out what we wanted to put, you know, on our shelves, you know? So at the time we could basically print every design that we had just a couple of them. And, and that would, that would fill the store, but we wanted to do more. And so we decided to start doing some, you know, local theme shirts because the, the newspapers and stuff were giving us some love whenever we'd have a shirt that kind of went viral. And that's what got people interested in, in stopping down to Dayton, Kentucky. So we thought we should have some more local designs. So we, we did like a vanilla ice parody from uh, Ice Ice Baby where he said uh, A1A beachfront avenue we we made a shirt that said a1a beachmont avenue <laughs> with like a girl in a bikini standing in front of a of a sports car we did um instead of del monte the the fruit brand we had del high or del hole it might have been i don't i don't remember uh, exactly but we just started making all these cincinnati designs and then we started getting on the local sports design. So Ryan Friel, rest in peace. Uh, everybody loved Ryan Friel. It seemed like every, every baseball game he played, he, he got his uniform dirty cause he was always diving around. So we did like a Ryan Friel t-shirt that was, uh, it looked like it had dirt stains on it. We did a Bronson Arroyo shirt guest of the show here on Cincy shirts podcast this was before I knew him. I would never do this now, but uh, it said Bronson Oreo, and it was basically his whole body, but with an Oreo face. Um, we did a. Uh, I should, probably shouldn't say some of the other ones we did because I would I would be embarrassed to let these people that I've met since then know that these shirts once existed. But I think we had an Adam Dunn shirt. And one day I'm. I'm on the road and I get a phone call that uh, Ryan Friel is in our store and he wants to buy some Ryan Friel t-shirts. So that was like so cool for me. There was this uh, apartment kind of complex just past our shop that sat up on the hill looking back towards downtown. Apparently a bunch of the Reds players live there. 
And so when we started putting stuff in the window and once we had a store, I guess they, they noticed it and a couple of them would stop in and, and pick up some designs, which was like super cool for me as like a giant Reds fan. And to hear that they, they liked what we were doing meant a lot. And the Reds weren't great, but you know, they're the Reds. It's like for some reason when the Reds are bad, people like the same amount of people are still at the games because everybody just loves going to the games and stuff. And it's like when the Bengals are bad, it's like the city just piles on. So when, when football season came around and the Bengals like set probably a world record for number of arrests on the team, we started doing kind of like negative Bengals themed stuff. You know, we had, uh, we had the Bengals B logo, but instead of having stripes, it it had like it looked like a jail cell door. People, we got some press for that. People thought it was a really clever design because if you just kind of glanced at it, it looks like a it looked like the official logo. But then when you look closer, you could tell it was a jail door. I mean, it was like every other day there was like a Bengals player getting arrested for something, and then the team was so bad. We did a shirt. It was called. Mike Brown's hat and basically what it was was it was a picture of a fedora like Paul Brown wore and underneath the fedora it said Paul and then it was a brown paper grocery bag with eye holes cut out and underneath that it said Mike so it was like we were we were commenting that those are the two different hats that the that Mike Brown and his father wore and uh, that got us some press and so we started to kind of become known for, you know, social commentary, parodying local streets or businesses or the sports teams or the athletes that play for them, you know, whatever it was, we started to become known for like the local take on it. And, um, once we figured out that formula, we really started to lean into it and, um, decided that, We'd figured out our our business model. We we kind of knew where the company was going and what worked and what didn't. And you know, we had our own equipment. We finally understood how to use it. We had a store, and we're like, "All right, let's start to really grow this thing. How how can we take it to the next step?" We decided to hire an intern to help us, and uh, we found this this kid at. University of Kentucky who lived in Northern Kentucky, who was honestly, I think he was going to school for business, Mitch. And, uh, and we hired Mitch to come help us and fill out all his paperwork so he could get college credit for it. And it was cheaper for us to do it that way. <laughs> you know, interns are always cheaper than uh, full-time employees. That's a, that's a business tip for everybody. So we got Mitch in there helping us out. Scotty's in there printing pork chop running the store. And uh, we decide we're going to venture into online advertising. So we didn't know what websites we wanted to advertise on. We didn't know what would work. We found this website that basically said we have placements on various blogs and if you want to pay us, we can put your ad onto these different blogs. And, you know, depending on how big of a following the blog has, it, it can vary the cost to run an ad there. 
So we found this website called Barstool Sports, and uh, it was pretty new, but it was basically Maxim Magazine as a website. It was just dudes, sports, girls, total bros, and we thought, you know, our pop culture references, our movie quote shirts, our sports, you know, theme designs, like this is the place where we want to advertise those. And I don't remember off the top of my head how much it was, but it, it was a little expensive for back then. But we saw a return on our investment almost immediately. We continued to advertise on Barstool and and hit that bro that bro culture. Then there was another website that I the name escapes me. Maybe Darren can fill us in on the on the next episode. But it was all like cute animals. It was like one of those websites if you remember, if you're old enough to remember, where it would just show you a picture of like like a cute cat or a dog or something and you would like rate it and then it would just take you to the next picture of a cute cat or a dog or animal that you would rate it. And you would just go in this like loop of looking at cute animal photos and, and telling whether or not you thought it was cute. And so we advertised on there. And then there was this, this was brand new back then. There was this celebrity gossip blogger named Perez Hilton. And he had the blog that everybody wanted to advertise on because he, he was basically like the original TMZ. He was getting all the scoop in Hollywood posting all these photos that nobody else had seen and, you know, making fun of celebrities. And you just, you hadn't seen anything like this. And he had a huge following. So every once in a while, if we really wanted to splurge, we would run an ad on Perez Hilton's website. And that was our, that was all of our marketing. You know, we weren't advertising locally and we thought this would be a good way to start getting our word out because up till then it was literally just whatever we could post on MySpace, <laughs> and then uh, whoever I was able to reach when I was on the road doing shows. Because I would tell people after the show, you know, as I was wrapping up, like, "Hey, I'm selling T-shirts in the back, and uh, if you like funny T-shirts, I have a whole website of them." And I'd have these postcards that on one side would talk about my comedy, you know, get people to go to my comedy website. And on the other side would be an advertisement for look at me shirts and the hopes that people would see some of our designs on the postcard and go home and, and want to buy more. And so, you know, we start this online advertising and it's, it's helping the sales are starting to come in. It's really fun. And then at some point, and I don't, I honestly don't know why we decided to pull the trigger on this, but I remember exactly where I was when I, first gave it a thought. I'm driving from my house in Loveland to our shop on the days that I'm in town in Dayton, Kentucky. And I would listen to Homer, 1530 Homer, sports talk radio every, every morning on my drive in. And I noticed that whenever Lance McAllister was on, uh, I think Lance was maybe doing mornings at that point. He would talk about 1-800-GOT-JUNK and his blog every chance he got. Like literally any any free second, he would say, 
my blog is uh, where I put all my articles. And, you know, if you want to see pictures of whatever I'm talking about on the radio right now, check out my blog. It's brought to you by 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And it was just like I heard 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and I remembered that more than any commercial or anything else. I'm like, man, he is always plugging his blog, and every time he does, he plugs 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And so um, I started listening in the afternoons to Mo Egger and Greg Doyle. They had a they had a show and it was kind of like uh you know these two guys back and forth talking about sports and I'd listen to them on the way home and they both had a blog. They might even have had a blog for the show itself as well. But they were constantly plugging it and I didn't hear any sponsor. So I called Clear Channel and it probably had to be the easiest sales call ever, right? Because, you know, if you if you're in business at all, especially if you own a business, like people are always trying to sign you up for stuff and sell you stuff. I can't imagine being a sales guy and hearing, "Hey, here's here's an account for you locked up already." So I called and I asked about sponsoring the blog for Mo and Greg. And they came back with a price that was very fair and affordable for us because, you know, they weren't quite at the level of, of uh, followers that Lance was. And so um, we decided to pull the trigger and start advertising on their blog. And, um, you know, it was really cool, like the first time to be in your car listening to the radio and hear a local, basically a commercial for your business that, you know, a couple years ago didn't even exist. And then now you're hearing people advertise you. And I don't know, there's something that still gives me chills to this day of like, just, you know, it's like, you know, you ever hear, hear something on the radio and you're like, Oh man, they're talking about me. And so, we had this good relationship with them. We were doing like shirt giveaways and that sort of thing, but we had actually never met them. And then one night they were doing a live remote or a live appearance at, and I'm struggling to think of the name of it. It was like a country Western bar restaurant downtown behind fountain square. Um, that's not there anymore. I think it's like a burger place or something now, but, uh, Darren and I decided that we were going to show up with a big stack of printed shirts and introduce ourselves to meet Mo and Greg and let them see the guys that were behind the company that was advertising with them. So we show up and we have all these shirts and we give it to them and they were both very cool and decided that they were going to pass out the shirts and, and do some giveaways and that sort of thing. And I really hit it off with Mo. And so he and I started hanging out and uh, going to Reds games and, and, you know, just hanging out more often. And not too long after that, Greg left. I want to say he left. He got into MMA. And then I think he went to write for like CBS Sports or something. And I believe last time I, I knew he was in Indianapolis now. But Mo, it became Mo's show. Lance moved to 700 WLW to sports talk. And then Mo and Lance uh, 
sort of shared the duties on 1530. That relationship with Mo still exists to this day. We've done a lot of stuff with Mo. He's been super kind to our our uh, company and all these years of working together. And uh, we'll talk about that more as we as we move through the history of the company. But that was our first foray into like traditional local advertising, and it was uh, it was super fun. And it's just crazy to think back to look back this this far and see like you know mo was a groomsman in my wedding like that's how close he and i have become over the years and it all started because we decided to advertise on his blog so after the radio stuff had gone well (laughs) someone who heard one of the commercials again going back to being a business owner and having salespeople try to sell you stuff all the time. Uh, this girl comes into our shop one day and says she works for the cable company in Northern Kentucky and thought that we were a good prospect for having a television commercial. (laughs) And I'm laughing because I remember all of this like it was yesterday And so she, her name was Nicole. She decided she was going to hold our hand through the process of, of uh, getting a commercial on TV. And she, you know, she said, oh, we've got this production uh, capabilities in house and it'll be so easy that you guys just tell us what to say and we'll make the commercial, blah, blah, blah. So she tells us how much it'll cost to have them do the, the commercial and Darren and I, we talk about it and we we decide, you know what, let's just make our own commercial. Because the, the samples that they showed us were like every terrible local commercial that you see. You can think of a million of them right now, but you see some like, you know, come on down to Mike's car lot. You know, it was like this real simple text like you would see from a a high school news program or something. And we just thought, man, I feel like we could do something better than this. Cause Darren and I were making our own videos at that time for YouTube. Uh, we did a video that was basically filmed from Darren's dashboard, uh, driving across 471 from downtown Cincinnati all the way to our store. And it was just, we put it online just so people could visually see what the drive looked like because when we told him we had a store in Dayton, Kentucky, most people didn't even know Kentucky had a Dayton. And so uh, we had that video, you know, we had done some funny videos at his house of, you know, some of it with using some of his paintings that he had done. And so we, we started doing customer service videos and we thought we're good enough at this, that we should just, we should make the TV commercial ourselves. And we wanted a hook. We're like, we need, we need a hook. So, I had gone to, this is so random. I had gone to Kohl's with my mom on Black Friday one year to help her pick out some stuff that she wanted to buy. And we had to get there super early to buy it. And one of the things in the store was a a popcorn machine, like an old fashioned popcorn machine that like sat up on two wheels. So you could like make your own like movie theater popcorn And I called Darren. I was like, dude, let's get this for the store. I was like, I don't know how we're going to use it, but we should buy this for the store. And he was always up for doing crazy stuff like that. So so I bought this popcorn machine 
And when it came time to make our first TV commercial, we decided that uh, that was going to be our hook. We were going to offer free popcorn. (laughs) So we were so enamored by all of these terrible commercials that we thought it would be funny to make a terrible commercial, but make it obvious that we did it on purpose. Like that we're not, we're self-aware enough to know this is a bad commercial. The, the commercial starts out, and I think it's still on YouTube. I will find it, and I will make sure that uh, PF posts the commercial in the blog for today's show. Um, but it's it starts out where I'm standing in front of the lockers I was talk, talking about, and I say, um, to save money, we decided to make our own commercial. And then you see the boom mic like come down into frame like right above my head and then go back out. And it looks like a terrible edit, but it's all done on purpose. And so Darren's like, welcome to Look At Me Shirts. And he's doing it like he's reading it off of a cue card terribly. And we show some of our designs. You know, we're like, come on down. We're, you know, on the corner of Route 8 in Dayton, Kentucky. And it's like an image from us across the street, out in front on the sidewalk, waving our hands at people come visit us in Dayton Kentucky and at the bottom is just flashing free popcorn and that was our thing like we just thought dude if people come in and get free popcorn they're gonna just be walking around it was like people had greasy popcorn fingers touching all of our shirts like it was just a terrible idea that uh that still makes me laugh to this day but the commercial is super funny so I hope you'll go to cincyshirts.com and check out the blog page and and watch this video. And uh, maybe we'll even post it on social media. But uh, it was it was a lot of fun to do. But that was uh, that was how our first TV commercial came to be. So I feel like that this is a good stopping point for this week. It's a little bit shorter than last week's episode, but everything that that happens from this point on is it's such a longer story that it would be kind of silly to start it right now. So um, we'll go ahead and wrap, wrap this one up for this week, but stay tuned because the next one is where our, our company really starts to take off um, and then backtracks about eight miles before we really start to take off again. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast And uh, we appreciate you listening. And for all those people that are out there hearing this, that ever bought shirts from us when we were Look At Me shirts or stopped down to the Route 8 warehouse in Dayton, Kentucky, thanks for for sticking with us this whole time. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. your presence from the day before spending the day in the shirt that you wore 
So there's Josh taking us from uh, the, I guess what we called the, to the end of the Look At Me Shirts days. And uh, we'll, we'll pick it up with one or both of them talking about how the company kind of transformed into Cincy Shirts and, and to what it is today. In the meantime, I would say uh, if you, again, if you shop with us regularly and follow us on social media and all that stuff, of course you recognize Billy DeVore. He is a uh, local stand-up comedian. He is also our sales director. And uh, people ask, well, how did Billy get mixed up in this? And people probably remember if you've shopped at the stores that Billy was uh, originally working in the OTR store. I believe he is the first full-time employee hired by Shirts. Although Josh mentioned in the Look at Me Shirts, I think they had a couple of interns, but I think Billy is the first full-time employee hired by the company. He's been with the company the longest um, continually. Uh, I've been with the company the longest Y'all explain when I get to my thing. But anyway, I would call Billy the third face of Cincy Shirts, certainly. Uh, particularly if you saw the, a couple of weeks ago the uh, the Billy special there at Camp Washington Chili. Billy, very beloved. So Billy is going to explain right now how he got mixed up in Cincy Shirts. Hello, I'm Billy DeVore, and I'm the custom sales director here at Cincy Shirt. Some of you might have heard me on here before, and some of you might have seen me in our stores or seen me on the internet repping Cincy Shirts and doing all that stuff. Um, I've been with the company going on almost six years in May, which is, that's crazy uh, to think. Man, time flies. I <laughs> remember when I started, but... I mean, how I even got this job is a is a pretty wild story. It's kind of a happenstance, just a crazy thing that happened. Uh, I was I was actually at a concert at Bogarts. Uh, I went and saw Interpol with my then girlfriend, now wife Alicia, and her ex coworker Jack. And uh, it's one of Jack's favorite bands, and it was one of my favorite bands. I mean, it still is, and. And it's one of Darren's favorite bands, so uh, we went to the concert and really enjoyed it. Had a, a couple adult beverages, and and the show was phenomenal. I mean, it's one of the best shows I've seen at Bogarts, and Interpol just puts on a heck of a show. And uh, when we were done, we walk outside, and I see my, my buddy Chris Waggle, who I know from doing stand-up comedy, and I look over, I'm like, Chris! Chris, what's up, man? And he looks over, he's like, well, you know, and then it's just like, just start jib-jabbing and talking. And then he goes, hey, if you, uh, if you, this is my buddy, this is one of my best buddies, Darren, the Darren Overholz. I was like, oh, are you the dude who does the paintings? And then they go bananas. And he was like, yeah, man, that's me. Yeah, yeah, I did the paintings. I was like, dude, that's awesome. You also own Cinchy shirts. He's like, yeah, man, that's me too. And, uh, I was like, man, that's awesome. And, uh, I was like, yeah, we kept talking, and I was like, just mentioned, you know, I knew Chris also from living in, o when he lived in OTR, and I was like, yeah, man, finally a part of the neighborhood, moved down to, and live in, live in OTR on Main Street, and Darren's like, what, we're on Main Street, and I was like, two blocks from your store, and he was like, uh, I'm not kidding right now, do you want a job? <laughs> I was like, yeah, man, I'm, a, I'm an unemployed comedian who not only doesn't have a day job, but my night job is just on the weekends at the moment. You know, comedy at that point was just open mics and occasionally getting out of town. It wasn't anything consistent, anything that's going to pay the bills. And then, uh, and, I, and I was, I was also, I was working in the kitchen at Go Bananas. So anything to get me out of sweatpants and frying chicken tenders and, and making little, little pizzas probably was was the move and you know standing back over those fryers you end up developing uh some some acne it's not the best for your skin to stand over cooking oil for 
hours at a time, but still love that job. It's still great. Uh, highly recommend it if you are an up-and-coming comedian. You need a, a way in to meet comics. The best way is to make their food, and they'll just come back and talk to you. But he was like, yeah, man, just come on in. Uh, here's my number. Just give me a call. And the next day, I, I, I get a text. It's like, hey, man, this is Darren from last night. Uh, I'm still, I'm completely serious about you coming to work for me. And I was like, I'll come on down and fill out the paperwork. So, you know, next day, we, we you know, this next couple days, I, I ended up walking down, filling out the paperwork and starting to work at the OTR store at the end of Maine and Liberty. And from then on, it, it kind of just, it just grew, which is so crazy to watch happen. I mean, you start there and it's just like, you know, just those two guys and a couple other people. And then next thing you know, we we sign FC Cincinnati. We get that on board. And we expand to the Hyde Park store. And after that, I, I they, they were like, hey, do you want to come up to the Hyde Park store and, and help build us out the, the, the like manufacturing and our production end? I was like, sure, man, whatever. Come on up. And I didn't have a car because I lived in OTR. I was like, I just walk everywhere. So for the first few months, I was taking the bus and I was documenting that and putting it on Facebook and saw some some crazy stuff, uh, super fun stuff. My favorite was when someone pulled out an entire block of cheddar cheese and just started gnawing on it. And then I was like, on the bus? Just a whole block of cheddar? Just now, now munching down? Like, I mean, I get it, but couldn't you like wait a little bit and it's going to stink up the bus? And also I was like thinking like, man, if only this guy had a box of wine, it would be like the the nicest charcuterie board that guy could ever have on the Cincinnati Metro. Maybe, you know, get him some some pre-sliced cons bologna, have himself a real party and did that. <laughs> and eventually I got a scooter and would scoot up to there. And I, the coldest I ever did that was it was like 15 degrees and I had like a full snowmobile kit. <laughs> I went from over the Rhine on my scooter up the hill to Hyde Park. And that was a blast. And then going from that, I mean, it's just crazy to think about how fast it's grown too. Going from that to working at, you know, our warehouse facility and going from that now being the custom sales director. It's like being a part of the journey and seeing all this, how this grows is just so wild. I mean, I, it, I'm just getting so many memories, and I'm thinking back on, like, when Fiona, like, with a feeling hip, when that hit, oh, my gosh, we were, it was me and a couple other people, and, and, uh, and Josh and Darren, and we just had boxes upon boxes just going to the basement and going, like, all right, we now need to figure out how to ship out all these thousands of shirts, and just being, like, all right, people, please be patient, help us out uh, by, by, you know, letting us figure this out and just complete chaos and coming up out of that basement in Hyde Park at like six thirty, seven o'clock and it's already dark out and you're like in the in the t-shirt mines completely unaware of the world around you because you're just packing the precious 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 Fiona into bags and trying to get trying to get these shirts out to people it was it was nuts and and it still is nuts going from where we were with just the one shop in OTR to taking on our own production facility to now having our own warehouse space to a stock room now that's separate from everything now having like two functioning stores and then also with old school shirts and that's crazy how much that's taking off I remember just like Josh coming up and he's like hey man check this out we bought oldschoolshirts.com I was like just the URL he's like yeah we think we can do something with it and now it's it's huge I, I, I it's just I don't know, man. It's uh, 
it's wild looking back and, and thinking about all that stuff. That's Bo Donaldson and the Haywoods, Billy Don't Be a Hero. Uh, so that song, that's a strange one. Bo Donaldson and the Haywoods are from Cincinnati, so an appropriate uh, reason to play it for that reason as well. But another group you may remember called Paper Lace also had a hit with it. But I guess Paper Lace's version was a hit in the UK and Australia and New Zealand. Bo Donaldson and the Haywoods covered it and took it to number one here in the United States and in Canada. Uh, neither of the other versions did well in the opposite countries. I, Paper Lace got to 68. I don't know where Bo Donaldson finished in Britain. We tried to get uh, surviving members of Bo Donaldson Haywoods on the podcast. Nobody ever answered. I don't think they've updated their Facebook page or their uh, website in a long, long time. But we'll, we'll keep plugging away. All right, so that comes up to me now again. If you want to skip out now, go right ahead. Uh, you're dismissed. I won't be offended. But I'll quickly tell you how I got mixed up in the Cincy Shirts uh, family. Uh, so I, as you know, uh, write for City Beat, and a- as such, I've uh, used to write about music, and I switched to writing about comedy, and as such, interviewed uh, Josh a-, a number of times. And one of the times I was interviewing, he said, uh, you know, well, you know, I was asking him what's new, what you got going on besides comedy, and he said, oh, I started a T-shirt company with this other comedian, uh, Darren Overholzer. I'm like, oh, that's interesting, and there was a look at me shirts at that time, and uh, so I. I- Interviewed him several times after that, asked him how the t-shirt business was going. Uh, Finally, I think ended up meeting Darren when he was featuring... Darren used to do comedy, by the way. A lot of people don't know that. We we always forget how hilarious Darren is. But uh, Darren was hosting and I think featuring occasionally. He hosted for Emo Phillips. Melanie Malloy was the feature act. She's no longer in comedy. Lovely gal from Pittsburgh. And uh, ran into Darren. I introduced myself. Oh, I I interview Josh a lot. And so uh, Darren and I chatted for a little bit. And then I uh, interviewed Josh again, and I think it was still... No, I think the company had become Cincy Shirts by then. And he explained to me that with the direction of the company, and they'll explain that in the future episodes, why that is, why it went in the direction it did. Josh kind of covered that in, when, uh, in his talk a little bit ago. So anyway... Uh, Josh explains to me how, what the, the focus of the company is now and I say, hey, you know, I emailed him later. I said, hey, if you ever want to do that, do a website for Cleveland, uh, my wife and I could help you find all kinds of designs, you know, all kinds of old Cleveland stuff for both being from Cleveland. So uh, Josh said, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep that in mind. So about six months later, uh, I get an email from Josh saying, hey, we're going to actually go ahead and do that. We're starting a site called Home Shirts and it's going to be like Cincy Shirts, but for uh, other cities. And we're getting uh, comedians in these towns. They're going to help us run it and they'll promote it. And we want you and Patty to run the Cleveland site. So we did. And uh, comedians being comedians, of course, none of the other sites really took off. Uh, the Pittsburgh one did only because Josh befriended some of the Pittsburgh Pirates and they did a shirt called Shark Tank. That was huge. Uh, but other than that, you know, comedians are comedians. They have other things on their mind. Uh, we took it seriously. And, of course, Cleveland ended up being half the sales uh, over of the other, like, seven, eight cities that were involved. And... Uh, so in the course of that, I was driving around one day. I'm pretty sure it was Memorial Day weekend, 2012, 13, somewhere in there. I got a call from Darren, and he's like, or it might have been Bunbury weekend. It was one of the two, but and I'm starting to think it was Bunbury. Anyway, Darren calls me and says, hey, I need some help. Uh, we're doing an event here, and uh, three people decided they're not going to show up for it. So I called my wife and said, hey, you want to go down and make a couple of bucks uh, selling T-shirts? And she said, sure, it's a nice weekend. Let's let's go down there. So we got into Bunbury or Taste for Free or both. I think we ended up doing both that year. And that's how we got mixed up in that side of it. And then, you know, one thing led to another. I worked other jobs for a long, long time. The home shirts closed. They reopened it six months later. I don't, I, 
that they need to cover for me. Because I never understood why home shirts closed down and because they said they didn't want to do it anymore. And then six months later, they turned around and said, hey, we're going to launch old school shirts. It's like Cincy shirts, but for other towns. So anyway, uh, in the course of that, uh, they kept that going. And then I ended up rejoining the company. Uh, and then I kind of like, I kind of do old school shirt stuff as well as uh, Cincy shirt stuff. But, uh, you know, the blog for both sites and everything like that. So uh, here at the end of the show, if you know folks in other towns you want to buy gifts for or if you're from another town, you're not from Cincinnati originally, you're from Philadelphia, Cleveland, Detroit, whatever, you do check out oldschoolshirts.com. But yeah, basically, that's how I got mixed up in all this. Couldn't be happier that it worked out the way that it did. And uh, that's it. Oh, and I get to pick the uh, the uh, the playout, uh, the the playout, um, the promo code. And uh, oh, before I do that, there's one little nugget I forgot to mention about the my getting mixed up in this because it's on our website. Uh, I did an interview with um, Josh and Darren for Cincy Magazine, not Cincinnati Magazine, the other one, Cincy Magazine, the magazine for business. And it was uh, called Apparel Jokesters, clever title. If you go to our website and scroll down and uh, look at In the News, click on that, it's still posted. You can still find that article. And that's when they saw the place in Dayton. And I remember (laughs) Josh said the funniest thing. And no offense, we love Dayton, Kentucky. Beautiful uh, little town. You should visit. But uh, I was, you know, getting set up to interview them. And we're kind of looking some of the people walking by the store. And Darren says, you know, we can make a lot of money selling belts in this town. (laughs) So anyway, I always just I always remember that that really cracked me up. So anyway, yeah, go back and look at the Cincy uh, Cincy Magazine article, Apparel Jokesters, pre Cincy shirts. That's how far back it was. Now the promo code in honor of Dayton, Kentucky, will be Dayton KY. That's all you need. Dayton KY, all one word. That'll be your promo code today. Twenty percent off your uh, order at CincyShirts.com, the store in Hyde Park, or uh, soon to be over the Rhine. We probably won't have that open again for another couple of weeks, but it's going to be really cool. In fact, I'm running there right after this to uh, help get that set up. And let me see where. I'll, oh, and of course at OldSchoolShirts.com. All right, very good. So. Um, I guess that is... Let me go through the rest of the stuff here. Uh, go to the Cincy Shirts podcast archive. You can find it on Podbean or from uh, our blog or wherever you get your uh, podcast. Go back and through, listen to the previous 159 episodes uh, or so. I can tell you that today's show is produced by me with all from Josh and Darren. Uh, our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They're from Philadelphia. Find their music in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. And again, for vintage tees from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, go to oldschoolshirts.com. The promo code again is DaytonKY, all one word, all lowercase, all uppercase. That part does not matter. Again, use that to take 20% off your order at either of the sites or in the uh, Cincy Shirt store in Hyde Park. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest in T-shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye.
wish I said goodbye.